Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to Kill Me Now with Judy Gold. I am your host, Judy Gold, and it is our first episode of this year, 2023. Although, as a Jew, I do think of the Jewish New Year really as the real New Year because I hate New Year's Eve. Um, But I want to say, well, this week, by the way, we have the hilarious Kurt Braunohler on uh, part one of my interview with him. He's a delight. And so here's the thing that I just want to say is that, as you know, Elise's birthday is New Year's Eve. And that's what I celebrate. That is what I celebrate. I don't have to do, like, I'm done. I'm done with New Year's. I think it's stupid. We were watching White Lotus when the ball dropped. Um, And that's it. It is a stupid... Plus, January is so, ugh. I don't know if you feel the same way, but December is like, like build up, build up, and then January just fucking cold and depressing. So here we are. It's January 10th, 2023, and we're starting a new year of podcasts. This is my eighth year doing this podcast. Eight years. That's a long time. That is like someone in third grade. Okay. So just remember that. But um, so thank you. Thank you all for being here. It's it's already been an exciting year. If you follow me on Twitter and Instagram and whatever else I do, you know that I have a new show coming out based on my book. Yes, I can say that when they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. But the, the show, it's it's an off Broadway play. We just announced it on Friday. It is uh, going to be at 59 East 59th Street Theaters. Which is, I, I know this is going to be shocking. It's at, it's in New York City on 59th Street. It's, it's, and the address is 59 East 59. Whoever thought of that name of the theater is a fucking idiot. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Now people know where to go. So maybe they're not an idiot. Maybe they're not an idiot. But it's a beautiful theater, 59 East 59. So we're really excited about that. And um, so I, I B.D. Wong my good friend and podcast guest, past podcast guest, uh, live podcast actually, is uh, directing. And my friend Eddie Sarfati uh, is the co-writer with me. We've been working on it. We're still working on it. We're tightening the script uh, because I want it to be perfection. And if you are in the New York City area, you have to come. It's March 4th to April 19th. The previews are from the 4th until uh, March 4th, until March 19th, and opening night is the 21st of March. So get your fucking asses, get your tickets. Follow me, you know, at Judy Gold, J-A-W-D-Y, because I'm a Jew. Gold. Um, 
follow, and you know, all this stuff is in my bio, it's on my website. So I'm really excited. That's what I've been working on. I've been working on that for a long time. And it's a fucking shit show. Writing a show, writing a book is a shit show. And then writing a show is a shit show. So it's a whole shit show and shit. But we, I did have a week off. We went to P-Town and I had lost some weight right before we went uh, the 26th of December. And I had lost some weight and I was feeling really good. It was like eight pounds, but you could tell, you know, I could feel it. And I was like, oh, my stomach's a little lighter. I mean, you know, not lighter, but, you know, in, in, so I could see parts of my body I hadn't seen in a while and I didn't feel bloated. And then I was like, you know what? I have a week off and I am going to cook because I love cooking. And, uh, Elisa's sisters, uh, Jilly and, and Amy, who um, are my sister-in-laws, essentially, even though we're not legally married, please, they got me this William Sonoma gift certificate. So I bought all this cooking stuff and I made, okay, I made um, lemon risotto and scallops proven kal, okay, not kosher up in P-Town because it's by an ocean, so... Uh, I made this Mediterranean chicken. I made uh, this delicious frittata. I made eggplant lasagna. And then I made meatloaf, uh, braised. Um, Lisa loves meatloaf. So I made meatloaf for her for her birthday. And I had um, also this balsamic braised red cabbage, which was so good. I love red cabbage. Fart. But um, And so... We're like, we're not going out to eat. I'm just going to cook. And I gained like four of the pounds back because even though I wasn't going out to eat, I, I buy, I don't know if anyone, I, ha, you know, I still buy food like the kids are home. Like I prepare, prepare meals, like even though it's me and Elisa, that it's like four people to two of whom of whom do not stop eating. And so I still buy enough. I'm like, I oh, will have leftovers. It's like a fucking, I could fill, I could feed the entire town of Provincetown. So I have to, I'm going to learn how to make just for two people and then like freeze the leftover. I'm really sick of, you know, you live in New York city and you, it's so easy to order in. And I just hate it. I hate looking in my refrigerator and there's leftover order in food. My, even though I don't do New Year's resolutions, I am going to be cooking and that's it. I'm going to be cooking. I do not want to order in. And plus, you know what the fuck's in the food. But anyway, so that's that. So we, and we hiked every day. We walked. I had sciatica and I went to um, a chiropractor and then I got all these exercises. So I am... Feeling better, but the minute I get back to New York, I'm like, oh, we'll do the Peloton tomorrow. Eh. But in P-Town, like, you know, I could stay in my apartment all day in January, like, because I can just order in and I don't have to go outside for anything. And it's very unhealthy. So I have to force myself to go get exercise. And yeah, so that's my, well, that's what's happening with me. Um I don't know. I am really excited for the show. So you please get tickets, please. And I hope you saw me on Sherry's show yesterday. 
um, Sherry with an exclamation point. I love Sherry Shepard. So she had me on. I was like the first guest of the new year. I couldn't believe it. I felt really good about myself. And I'm sure something shitty will happen to me this week. That'll bring me right down to earth. Okay. So that's what's going on with me. Um, Also, just want to say Kevin McCarthy is a fucking... I just, I hate them all. I hate them all. I hate George Santos so much. Like I fucking hate him. I hate, I hate Laura Boebert. I fuck, I, like they're all disgusting people. They're disgusting people. They have no interest in being a public servant. It's all about them, 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 them. And I can't, and they're so immature. And Matt gets with his, oh, I couldn't even, ask, I didn't know what else to ask for. I'd ask for so much shit. Shut the fuck up, you sex trafficker, you piece of shit. What you know? These people are, and they're dumb, but they're not that dumb because they know how to. Um, they know how to uh, disrupt everything. I love Katie Porter reading um, the the uh, subtle art of not giving a fuck in the middle of. Oh, sorry, I hit the mic in the in the middle of this fucking fiasco. So I I, I don't know. You know the whole orange fuckface winning the presidency is like everyone thinks they can be a government official even though they don't even fucking read. So that's great. So there you are. We're a bunch of dumb fucking idiots. And now we have dumb fucking idiot legislators and it's really upsetting. So yeah, I watched the hearings and it was, I can't, I love Hakeem Jeffries though. And I love, I love his accent, his New York accent. So, all right, there's some good people out there, but So anyway, um, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. I love this guy. He is in such an interesting life, and I think you'll have fun listening. So yeah, so sit back. Oh, let me tell you, I'm telling you my dates in the beginning because I always wait till the end, and not everyone listens to the end. So I'm just letting you know, January 21st, I'll be in Sellersville, Pennsylvania at the Sellersville Theater. No idea what to expect, but I'm going there, baby. And I'm at, I'm in DC at the DC Comedy Loft, January 26, 27, and 28. I'm very excited. I love DC. And my nephew lives there. He works uh in the Biden administration. And so I'll be seeing him and my great nieces. I'm really old and I have great nieces. So get your ticket. Everything's on my website. And on my tweetar so and my insta and whatever else ever whatever uh but thank you for being here today sit back relax and enjoy part one of my conversation with kurt braunohler ladies and gentlemen i am excited you know i love talking to comedians I mean, I actually only like talking to funny comedians <laughs> or comedians I think are funny. And if I don't think you're funny, you're not fucking funny because I always, you know, I know where the joke is, you motherfuckers. Anyway, first of all, I love your special. He has a new special out. Kurt Brownoler is here. Now you say brown hole. Oler. I, I say oh, brown Oler. Yeah, beautiful. I, a beautiful uh, brown Oler. That's what I that's what I thought. You know, some people introduce you as Brown Holer. Most people introduce me as Braun Holer. Oh, they do? Braun Holder? Holer? (laughs) Well, they're idiots. Um, But you have a beautiful special out called called Perfectly Stupid, which is not your first special. But it's kind of your, it's your first special as being a parent. 
it's my first special where you can actually watch it because the first one was on Comedy Central and they aired it at midnight and four in the morning and then put it behind a paywall that no one could access. So, Don't you love that? Don't you just love that? Mwah. And well, everyone gets, you. yeah, everyone gets really excited when they get I know. Um, these Comedy Central specials. I am, I had a, a an HBO special in 95, 95. And it was, and that's when getting a special meant Huge. something because Huge. there were no, you know, HBO, there wasn't like, there wasn't Comedy Central. There wasn't any of these. And, you know, it was such an honor I remember thinking, you know, this network, this great network is trusting me for a half an hour, you know, yeah. to entertain the people, you know, and, and it to me, it was like, just, it was just a feather in the, I just, I, it was, it had been a goal of mine. It was a half hour comedy special, but, and I, I just, it's not like that anymore. It is not. It really isn't. It's more important that you have a really great, 15 second crowd work clip. <laughs> I can't, Kurt. I can't take it. I can't take it anymore. It's driving me insane. You don't understand. It drives me insane. It yeah. drives me fucking insane. All right. I have so many questions for you. Okay. okay. First of all, you are from the place where my family is original. Well, my family came over. That's the Jubel. Okay. <laughs> my family came over. Um, uh, my mother's family settled in New York. They're from the Upper West Side. That's a lot of bells. Um, and my, and part of my mother's family also is from Perth Amboy. And then my, and they started the synagogue in Perth Amboy. And, uh, and my father's family was from Perth Amboy when they came over. And, you know, my family's roots are in Perth, Amboy, and New Jersey. And both of my parents are buried there. All my whole family's in this cemetery because my grandparents were second cousins because we're Jews. And uh, <laughs> so I'm like related to everyone in the cemetery. And, you know, I know you're from Neptune. And yeah. we used to go to Asbury Park all the time when I was growing up in the 60s. Yeah. That was when it was like the bee's knees, right? Right. That was like right. a hot spot in the sixties. Right. And then it became not that hot. But now it's all gay. You mm-hmm. know what I love about Asbury Park? It's have you been there recently? Oh, I go back. I mean, like Asbury Park. I lived in Asbury for a couple of years before I moved to Neptune. And so I just went back this summer and and it was the first time I brought my kids to see Asbury. And it was awesome. We stayed a block away from the Stone Pony. It was like it was Oh, awesome. I love it there. So it's so funny because, you know, you'll drive down one street and it's all these gays with the rainbow flags and these beautiful houses. And then you, you know, you make a right turn and there's like hypodermic needles (laughs) and people lying in the middle of the street, you know, and then you make a left and there's another beautiful house with it's just it's crazy. But okay, so you were born in 1976, which, by the way, is the year is the year I went to high school. So I could. Really, I mean, I did definitely had just gotten my period, so I kind of could be your mother. Yeah, it's well, it's two, it's two awakenings at the same time, really. Right, right. Yes. I mean, I was thirteen, but mm-hmm. you know, in some countries. All right. Anyway, <laughs> your father left when you were two. Is that correct? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I grew up in in Jersey. 
And uh, my dad lived in Michigan. So, and my mom was a pediatric nurse. Oh, please. I know all, everything about you. We can't get into that yet. But I just, yeah, your fa- your mother was a pediatric nurse and your father left because he's an asshole. Can I say that? I mean, you're allowed to say it. I won't say it. I can't say it anymore. He just, he recently had a stroke. And so I've had, I've had more, uh, I've had more sympathy for compassion. I've been trying to have compassion. Yes. 100%. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question, but after you explain this whole situation, your your father leaves and moves to Michigan, right? Yes. Or no, he was, they were in Michigan. They were in Michigan. Then, oh yes. And then your mother comes back to be near her family. Okay. Where she grew up, but she was born in Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. Um, wow, you did some deep dives. I told you. <laughs> um, was she the salutarian who graduated summa cum laude or is that you? She, that was her. Yeah. Was her from Aquinas she, College. Yes. She was the first person she, in her family to have a college degree. College degree. She was the yeah. salutarian. She graduated summa cum laude from Aquinas College and became a pediatric nurse. Yes. So you are, it's 1978 mm-hmm. and uh, I'm wearing bell bottoms and realizing, you know, God, I'm a lesbian and I can't tell anyone. And you're two and you're living in New Jersey with your mom who is a single mom and has to work. Yeah. And your mother brings you to work with her. Often. I would often often with her. You're a little kid. Mm-hmm. You're going with your mom to work. I have to know if you could go back. Like, what What was that like? Like, I mean, I know you're a kid, so you don't really get it. But did mm-hmm. you get like, and ha- I just, there, I have a thousand questions about this. It was interesting how, I mean, obviously kids always do this, right? It's completely normalized. It's just like, oh, yeah, I do this. I go there. And so, so to me, hospitals were never kind of a big, scary place. They were just a very familiar place. But the way it worked, this was at Monmouth Medical in a Long Branch, New Jersey. Oh, I know where that is. Yeah, it was. Th- there's like a big playroom and there's literally a woman. We everybody called her the play lady. Um, I, and I and I, I was writing a show about nurses in the 80s. And so I'd interviewed one of my mom's friends who worked with her on that floor. And uh and it, they didn't illegal. They didn't make smoking illegal on the floor <laughs> until like 1986. <laughs> oh, yeah. 1986. You know what? That's when they um, that's when you couldn't smoke on a plane anymore. Yeah. I remember they would put the people. Did you ever fly before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Started oh, yeah. when you were five. Yes. You started flying when you were five. I read that. But people, they would put them in the last row like the smoke was going to stay in the and last row. You're in a big if. Except if you were in the first class, then it was the last row of first class. I mean, it right. was fucking, they had ashtrays in the armrests. All of them, all of them had ashtrays in the armrests. And it used, it was only, it was up until very recently that they still had the thing, but there was just never ashes in it. You know, right, you right, still right. play with it. It was maybe like yeah. 10 years that they finally switched out those armrests. Yeah, 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 Which yeah. is pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, everyone was smoking. Uh... And I would, I like the play lady, play lady taught me how to play gin rummy, you know, nice. um, I would hold little kids when they got shots. Um, and then they would just give me like jobs to do too. Um, and I talk about this in the special, but one of the main jobs that I deeply remember was delivering uh, blood to the lab. I would literally right. 
they would hand me blood samples in a bag and I would get very excited, like as a six-year-old. Right. Very excited to like go down to the basement with the blood. And one thing I didn't mention in the special is that when you get to the basement, you could go right or left. Right was the lab and left was the morgue. And I was uh, sick, so I would get confused a lot. And I would end up in the morgue multiple times before no. seven. Yeah, 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 totally. It just looks like a, you know. A, I know, but did you ever see, did you ever see a corpse? No, I just saw like the wall of, of, of handles. <laughs> oh my God. But it's uh, very normalized. Right, but did you, so you had no idea that, you were surrounded by, I mean, did, did it register at all that you're surrounded by sickness and death? Yes, it did. Also, you have to keep in mind too, like back in the eighties, people were just in the hospital for much longer. Right. Right. So you had kids who were there who maybe they had leukemia or something like that. And they were in for some treatments, but they were there for like a full month, you know, to get one operation and then wait and recover and that sort of thing. And so as they were like recovering, they were just like normal kids. And so, right. you know, I would make friends with them and everything. And then inevitably, you know, like half of them would end up dying. And so it would be like this thing of like, well, where's Luke? You know, it's just like, right. Luke, uh, well, Luke died. And just like this thing, of like being a six year old, I'm just being like, oh, a lot of these kids are dying after I become buddies with them. Cause it would be, I would look forward to it. If you could, if, if, if it all lined up where it was like, there was a kid, that was also my age that we also, you know, got along and they were there for long enough. So it was like a, just a couple. Like you would bond with that. It was like yeah. you had this whole set of other friends yes. outside of school. Yeah. Yeah, for real. All right. I'm going to do a list of questions. Number one, did anyone, any of your friends ever end up in the hospital? Did you ever no. from no, school? No. OK, no. Did you ever hear parents crying or, you know, well, like, did, were you exposed to any of the emotions? No sadness. No, I was never exposed wow. to sadness. And then my mom would really become, she would become a, attached to the families of, of these kids yeah. that were there for a long period of time. And I remember um, one girl who had uh, cystic fibrosis, who was in and out so often that we became friends. And then like, even after she was done with her treatments and stuff, we would spend time with that family. Um, and wow. so I family very well. And I also, interestingly enough, and, I, and, and I'm not even putting it together until now, they, my, my mom used me, I think the hospital used me as a distraction, really, as a, because I was always like a, an upbeat kid. So I could come in and kind of be like, I could be like a jester at a very young age. Right, right, right. clown for these kids. Yes, um, and I did, I did, I felt that responsibility. I felt that responsibility. You did, having you like did. Come into the room and be like bright, upbeat, and, upbeat and have fun. And that was easy. You're a kid. It's easy to have fun. But I do remember that that, and I'm just remembering that responsibility now that I did feel of like, well, look, I'm not sick. So it's my job that I have to be. I, I mean, to, yeah, I mean, I can't I had a depressed my grandmother suffered from depression. I'm sure my mother did, too. But I know that feeling of doom and gloom and like, OK, everybody, how's everyone doing tonight? You know, and that yeah. and I feel like, you know, for you, the same thing, just knowing that coping that like to 
to just know that that is a coping mechanism, but not know it because you're so young. Yes. But knowing that's the only place to go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Did your mother ever say, you know, are you okay? Or, I mean, did you have talks about the kids who died and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. No, we would, we would. She was very, um, uh, I don't know, ahead of her time, I think, with child rearing and stuff, probably because she was a pediatric nurse, you know, like all she did was interact with kids. So she had a very good bedside manner. She was very good about explaining things and and talking to me like I was, a you know, an equal intellectually, even though I was not. Um, and it's also, you know, it's just that weird relationship of like an only child with a single parent. Yeah. Um, where it is just like such an intense bond, you know. Do you feel like you're easier at, at sort of cultivating a chosen family. I mean, I always, I've talked about this multiple times (laughs) on the show because I'm gay. And, you know, especially during that period of time, you know, when people's families just were like, get the fuck out, you know, we, and a lot of closeted people. So we, we had chosen families and Mm -hmm. I, I'm just fascinated by that. That also as a coping mechanism that you would go in there and it was sort of this other, familiar family-like situation. And that is interesting that you say that because I do, that is, I do have a chosen family of friends. Right. um, That is, and it is something I cultivate and keep, you know, even though now we're like all in different parts of the country. Of course. But then you get together and it's like yesterday. Yeah. It's 100%. And that is the best. Yeah. Hey, everyone, you know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity and eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality and they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have calorie smart, protein plus, keto. I just did chef's choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to Factor Meals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S 
dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero, okay? Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, Judy Gold 50, to get 50% off. That's code Judy Gold 50 at factormeals.com slash Judy Gold 50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. All right. So when you're five, mm-hmm. you start traveling on planes by yourself. Yeah, I start. <laughs> I start flying by myself just because my dad to go visit dad your dad. Yeah, because it's just like this is how it's going to be, and uh, my mom really couldn't argue. And so you yeah, got to tell the stories myself. of what it was. Can you just oh, tell what insane. it was like? Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the the first time I actually flew was with my sister who is, so I have seven siblings from right. other different parents, different moms. Cause your father has eight children. Yeah. Yeah. My dad has eight children. And yeah. so the first time I actually flew, they, I guess I was like three or something, three or four and flew with my, I think she must've been a 16 year old sister uh, mm-hmm. who, and they flew us to Detroit for some reason from Newark to Detroit and they lived in Grand Rapids. So it was like a three hour drive from Detroit to Grand Rapids. So then my sister just like, did it. There was no, cause she was a 16 year old girl. She right. didn't think like, I just like, she was like, which one, which suitcase is yours? And I was just like that one. And I just literally <laughs> picked a random suitcase. Cause I was a four year old. And she as a 16 year old never thought like, maybe we should check and make sure that that's the suitcase. Right. Right. And then we just like took that suitcase three and a half hours away. Uh, <laughs> and of course it was just some old lady. Suitcase. So you're like that Biden administration person <laughs> who steals the suitcases. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I did not. There's this, this, um, of course they have to say he's non-binary or uh-huh. LGBTQ cause he's doing something wrong. So then right. you can blame it on his sexuality uh-huh. or gender. Yeah. Cause that has uh, something to do with your actions. Yeah. yeah. So apparently he's been steal He stole a couple suitcases or something, but it's because he's gay or whatever <laughs> he is, you know, <laughs> So did you get the suitcase back? Yeah, but it was like we it was, you know, days oh, I, later. But, I know, you know because, you know, fo- no cell phones. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the, you know, flying as a five year old. I always also had a layover in Dayton, Ohio. It was always a Ugh. layover, which was awful. And, you know, when you go as a child back then and, and now they just give you like a sticker that says unaccompanied minor. Right. You know, just to make sure everybody knows you're there for the taking. Right. Uh, and then it's just like a, it's just a, a, a flight attendant who is babysitting you. Right. Uh, and they're also doing another job. They're doing another <laughs> right. intensive job. And so you just like kind of sit there and you get handed off from flight attendant to flight attendant. And I did, I do remember, this is something I mentioned in the special, but the, 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 the unaccompanied minor sticker is just such a weird idea to me. And I thought there was no way they still do it anymore. Like it's just in the eighties. But I was in Montreal and I saw a girl. She must have been like 10. She was wearing an unaccompanied minor sticker, but then also had a T-shirt on <laughs> that said white wine all the time, <laughs> which combined with the unaccompanied minor That's sticker. That's hilarious. Is not a good look for the yeah. parents. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and then, yeah. And so then I would uh, I would have these long layovers and I alone them alone because you would just have to sit there because then, you know, one uh, one uh, flight attendant would go off shift and another right. flight attendant would come on shift, but then they, they would be working, checking people into the flight. Right. And so you just kind of like sit in a chair 
as a fucking five-year-old, you know, like I have a five-year-old now. She can't sit still for more than seven minutes. Right. Um, And we, and remember people, there were no like video games or anything like that. No, this is. Did you read? What did you do? One. No, I was, I was five. I think I learned to read probably, you know, close to this time, but you know, what am I bringing? Right. Likes ball to read. Yes. Yes. Uh, and so, and then it took, it took me really, I really hated those layovers until I turned 12. Wait, and, and then uh, wait at I, 10, you started smoking, right? I started smoking cigarettes at 10. Yeah. Classic Jersey. And, and uh, is it, was it f- because of the airport trips or was it because of independent? Just- I had older friends. That's what it was. So I had like, uh, my mom, if, uh, if I came home from school and she had to work late, I right. would go to this place. Uh, it was a it was a family who did daycare um, called Mrs. Kelly, and she she just had a bunch of kids in her backyard, essentially all through the eighties. And uh, I was friends with her older uh, her 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 eldest son Francis, and so he was two years older than me. So still, he was right. twelve when we got this pack of cigarettes. But I was hold, hanging out with older kids was essentially how I got into smoking at ten. No, I was just going to say she had no idea. No, nobody had an idea. We would go in the woods. I remember we bought. Uh-huh. Oh my cigarettes. god, that's so Jersey. That's what it's we so used Jersey. to do. Go in the woods. Yeah, we would go. We had a guy. There was a place called the Cracker Barrel, which has no, no. Reason. I know it's not nothing to do with the Cracker Barrel that you right. everybody knows. This was just a, a a local deli, and it was on the corner next to Francis's house, and uh, we couldn't go in there buy cigarettes because they all knew us. So we had a right. kid from another town go in and buy cigarettes. And then call us on the phone from the payphone, <laughs> and he said the pita bread is in the hole. And then we, were, oh we had my like a god, because we were ten, we had a code. The fox, the fox is on its way, or something like that. And we met in the woods. We each smoked one cigarette and then put it in a plastic bag and buried it. And then oh we would my go back god. every weekend and take one cigarette out and smoke it. And it was like a month of doing that before someone was like, "I was at Belmar Playland." And guess what? You're supposed to inhale these. And I was like, there's no way you're supposed to inhale these. That sounds fucking insane. They're like, you're supposed to inhale these. And I was like, no. And they're like, watch. And then they like showed me how to do it. And then that was it. I was in. I was I was committed to smoking. Wow. What kind of sick? Wait, what did you smoke? What kind? uh, I mean, that first pack is always I feel like it's always Newport's. Cause it's the most Ew, the kid worst. Friendly. Yeah. But it like that packaging was so like made for kids. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then uh, it was Marlboro reds. It was always Marlboro reds. Oh, nice. I did Marlboro lights, but then I switched uh-huh. to Virginia slims <laughs> lights. One hundreds. One hundreds. Just 100s. a long, just a long one. <laughs> it is like the size of a, of a toothpick. It's oh, a yeah. long toothpick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. How long? When did you uh, quit? When did you quit? Well, that's a great question. So I I started smoking at like, I don't know, 15, 16. Yeah. You know, it's a Jersey thing. People mm-hmm. don't realize that you go to Quick Check and you get yeah. your, your Wawa. Yeah, and Wawa. so um, when I was about 22, uh, my ex, I went to visit my you know, she brought me home to her parents. I think it was 22 or 23. And they both smoked like three packs a day. 
and the walls were like the wallpaper was like yellowing and every time we'd eat they'd eat and then they'd go (laughs) and i literally never smoked a cigarette again (gasps) oh my god at 22 that's so yeah 22 or 20 yeah yeah i was like no, because it just grossed me the fuck out. Yeah, it's gross. Smokers. Isn't it? Gross. It's so, so gross. disgusting. Sorry, yeah. smokers. Sorry, smokers. Um, so when I yeah. turned 12, I would literally get out at Dayton, Ohio. Dayton Airport, yeah. And uh, and I would just head off. I would like, you know, I was 12 and I was very tall for a 12-year-old. So I probably... Oh, uh, really? How tall? 16. I was probably, I don't know, 6'2 or 6'3 by 12. Yeah, I was very. Well, oh, we would have been friends because I was a six feet by thirteen. Oh yeah, there you go. And everyone, did you get teased? No, I don't. Boys don't get teased for being tall. They're just like, oh, look at you. Yeah, my my younger son is six eight, and I was six eight. Holy shit! And I'm telling you, well, first of all, I used to always like when they were would go to. I got bullied so much. You know how the Jersey kids are, and so I would just drill into them. If anyone's getting picked on, you better be nice to them. You better go help them. And, and, you know, they grew up in Manhattan and went to public school in Manhattan. And they're like, mommy, no one does that here. Okay. (laughs) No one does that here. Like you grew up in New Jersey. Um, But yeah, it's so interesting watching him be, you know, grow up as a tall kid and everyone mm-hmm. like oh that's great you know and people used to come up to me and be like wow he's so tall good, good thing he's a boy and i'm like i'm standing right here asshole <laughs> like you're a fucking shit. asshole <laughs> yeah it is so much different is your it's daughter so tall different. uh i don't know yet she's five uh, five and a half so we'll see she you really- know what the um you know, he plays college basketball, my son. And so, but all the coaches through his whole AAU and all that, they ask how tall the mother is. Really? Yes. How interesting. Cause my, isn't it? The, that's the most fascinating thing is like, my mom is so little, like I, by 12 or 13, I could fit her under my armpit, you know, like if we wow. stood in pictures, I would just put my hand over my whole arm. Is your dad tall? No. I mean, he's six foot, I think. Wow. I, in every photo of my family, I'm just like one foot bigger than Yeah, everybody. yeah. That's I was also crazy. breastfed until I was three. So maybe that. Is that true? Time. Yes, I was. God, your I mother was ha- ahead of her time. Do you remember? Time. Yeah. Oh, do I you remember. remember breastfeeding? I sure do. I remember specifically watching Phil Donahue and breastfeeding and asking my mom to change the channel because I was bored. <laughs> okay. And I didn't know it was weird at the time. You know, I didn't know it was weird until I started telling people. <laughs> and what they say. Everyone's freaked out. Everyone's freaked out by a three-year-old breastfeeding. I think now when I look back on it, my mom went through this traumatic experience at two when, when I was two. So she probably breastfed until two, which isn't crazy. I mean, it's right. like now having two kids, it's like, whoa, that's a fucking yeah. long time. But then at two, this like traumatic thing happened to the family and she had to essentially leave. And go to New Jersey, she was in a new place. I'm sure she did it for my benefit. You right. Know? Um, and it was just like, and then it just kept going. And then, and then, yeah, two, like weaning you, right. Weaning you after a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why it went till three. But I originally started talking about it in my stand up and I thought it was five. And I played the joke for my mom. She's like, you were not five. 
And she, I was like, oh, I wasn't. She's like, you were three. And I was like, still old enough to wear a suit. Yeah. <laughs> still, un- still old enough with teeth. I mean. Have lots of teeth and to speak fluently. <laughs> are you really healthy because um, of that? Do you I, get I, sick a lot? I don't know. I don't get sick. I have a pretty good immune system. Say? I, used to, I used to eat everything off the floor as a oh, yeah. young, you ha- youngster. Oh, uh, yeah. I, yeah. My my partner, Elisa, my lover, they are such <laughs> fucking anal retentive, like, you know, if there's a piece of dust on something. And I'm like, that's why you're ho- you and your sisters are always getting sick because <laughs> everything is too fucking clean and everyone's anal and it's really bad. Um, I was crossing this. I was crossing Eighth Avenue between like I think Twenty Third and Twenty Fourth, and dropped a, a slice of pizza cheese down, and then I picked it up and ate. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Dayton Airport, your yeah. your favorite airport at 12 years old. I would go um, get off the plane, shake yeah. the flight attendant guard, and I would buy... Because you could do this because it was the 80s. I would buy cigarettes and pornography and then just sit in the Dayton airport for three hours, just smoking Marlboro Rebs. No way. (laughs) That is fucking hilarious. Like a 12-year-old Hugh Hefner. Going back to to first grade, Mm -hmm. Mike did something to you. Squanchy? You talking about Squanchy? Yeah. Yeah. This is a deep cut. I like yeah. this. This I think I've only told this story once on my podcast, Bananas. Um, this was, yeah, it was first grade. It was the very first day of first grade. And um, and this kid was in line in front of me. And, <laughs> and we're all lined up. And everybody's nervous. And he just, like, turned around and looked me right in the eye, screamed, Squanchy, and then grabbed my nuts as hard as he could. And I just started laughing so hard. I thought that was like the funniest thing you could possibly do. And then we became like best friends for five years. Do you still keep in touch with it? Or you, you don't know? No, I have. Already? I have. Uh, I think on Instagram recently, uh, I found him again. Um, and uh, yeah. what's he and- doing? Is he like a, I don't a know. I like I literally saw a comment and like looked it up and said hi and sent a message and. I, I got nothing awesome. on my proctologist fucking Joe. Is he a urologist? <laughs> urologist. Is he? I, think, ur- I, I never put ur- this together though. He had, he had Tourette's. And so I do think that that was, it might've been a tick. Do you know what I mean? But oh yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I just rolled with it and was like, yeah, we're doing this. And we just ran around screaming, squanchy and grabbing people in the crotch. It was pretty great. Oh, I As love a first that. Grader. <laughs> um, how was high school? What did you what are you into in high school? High school in New Jersey is quite an experience. Yeah, I went to an all boys Catholic high school. Right. So um, I, you know, I think I, I was into the theater and yeah, high school for me was not, it wasn't difficult, nor was it exceptional. I just remember 
like the school itself, because there was because it was all boys, there was no like clicks or anything like that. It right. Right. Much like everyone was just there as one group, which was very fascinating. There was no. um, And so, yeah, I mean, I got the shit beat out of me, but it was run by brothers. And so the brothers right. would beat the shit out of you. Right. Um, so fun. So fun. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's just like these adults take out their aggression on children. Oh, that's yeah. It's like endorsed by the Catholic Church. That's yeah. Been, and been and nasty. adults who don't have relationships or have yes. secret relations, yeah. no families and no kids. And they should do marriage counseling. That's my favorite thing that they do. It is um, so insane. The Catholic priests do marriage counseling. What the fuck I know about being in a fucking 15 year long marriage? You ask. I know. You know nothing. And about also. It. Any pedophilia in your school? No, but we do. We wow. would have no pedophilia, but we would have. Um, there was one brother who was like a definitively a pervert and probably like if he had access, which he did not because it was right. boys. If he had access, I think he would have. Wow. Fucking asshole. Yeah. OK, you then go to John Hopkins mm-hmm. University, which is an excellent school, <laughs> Kurt, as my mother would say. He went to John Hopkins. <laughs> Do you think you could get into John Hopkins? <laughs> um, so you were really smart. Um, yeah, I, I liked, you know, I didn't I didn't mind school. I know a lot of right. uh, a lot of my comic friends hated school and I never I never minded. I actually wanted to be. A professor. Um, right. So when I graduated, I, I said, I'll live in New York for two years. Right. And then I'll uh, I'll go back to school and become a professor of philosophy. And then I just started, got, I got involved with the comedy scene and I was like, this feels like something special. I think I got to stay doing this. Did you have fun in college? Yeah, I had a lot of fun. It was, oh, you good. know, it's, it, Johns Hopkins is a, uh, it's, you know, medical forward. It's very. Uh, yes, it's very big medical school. Body. Yeah. Yeah. A student body back then it was called cutthroat. Uh, it was very much uh, fuck your fuck your friend over for a grade kind of. Right. Um, student body. And so I kind of just rejected all of that. And I found like the five fucking punk rock weirdos and we all lived together off campus. John's and so then kids. we expensed and then we kind of like experienced Baltimore. And Baltimore right. was a crazy interesting fascinating artistic city yeah um and that was really more the thing that i loved i loved living in baltimore with those guys did your how did your mother do without you being home i think it was probably incredibly difficult i remember the day before we were supposed to leave for for college um i dyed my hair purple because this is 1994 you know right and uh my mom was so sad and I just couldn't understand why she was so sad. She said, when I drop you off tomorrow, everyone's going to think that I'm a bad mother. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's not true. And she's like, it is. And so I think this was her dealing with the fact that I was leaving. So I just literally got in the shower and I washed my hair. I don't know, like 70 times until oh. it was like all out. And then she really was very happy. And then as she drove away, I was getting back in the shower to dye my hair <laughs> to, to, re- to dye it again. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, you're such a nice son. You get out of college and 
you'd join UCB. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, this was right. How did you get into, how did you get into the performance? I mean, I know you were into it like in high school and stuff, but like, how did you decide on improv? It was, um, my buddies, uh, John Daly and Brett Gelman. Mm-hmm. Brett they, Gelman, right? Yeah. Brett Gelman. Newish. And, uh, and they all lived together and they took a class at UCB and I went and saw their graduation show. And I was like, oh, this is because I had seen short form improv and it didn't hold any interest to me. Uh, But then seeing long form improv for the first time, that it was like this mini play and that there was no stupid games. Right. Um, Then I was like, oh, this is cool. And so I immediately signed up for a class. And then that that was honestly the very first scene I ever did in that level one class. I was like, oh, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And then I got to, you know, Amy Poehler was my level three, you know, teacher. Matt Besser was my level four teacher. And then I immediately started performing there and getting involved. And so, yeah. How was Amy? Is it? I love her. How was she as a teacher? She's such a nice person. She's an amazing teacher. She was an amazing teacher. Because her mother's a teacher, right? Her mother was a teacher. Oh, I didn't know. Yes, I I think so. Yes. Yeah. Don't quote me, but I think so. Um, (laughs) So you came up through UCB and you started doing stand-up at the age of 29. Yeah, pretty late. You liked it better. Yeah, I just stopped doing improv altogether because I just, I, you know, I felt like I had gone as far as I could with improv. You know, we 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 invented this new form called the Neutrino Video Projects. I actually ended up going to the HBO Aspen Comedy Festival with it. Um, oh, I, I was heard. there. What year was that? That was 2003. Were you there when... Oh, I don't know if you were there. What, was that the Jerry Lewis year where he said women are, um, I don't think women are funny. I think. No, but I heard you talking about that with Trevor Moore, Trevor Moore's episode. Yes. Yeah. 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 Is Oh, Trevor Moore. I know. Yeah. We came up together in, you know, in that, in that scene at the same time. I loved um, him. I, I mean, really did too. he just I, directed me too. And in, in his show that he had on Disney plus. So um, talented. He literally died a week after, I think it was a week or two after I interviewed him. Oh my God. Like we couldn't, we didn't do part two. We didn't even, um, we did it a year at the anniversary of his death. He was so talented. Yeah, he really was. Oh, rest in peace, Trevor. Yes. So I have a lot of friends who are in the improv. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I took some improv classes, but I was, I didn't take to it that well because mm-hmm. I can't with the yeah because you know so many times they say something and you just want to go what like no <laughs> and you can't and you and you can't and you can't you have Even to be like oh let me take that idea. let yeah. me take that and run with it and you're like you're a fucking asshole okay that's the yeah. that's what you come up with so um ne- I I never took to it um so I find it fascinating when. I've said fascinating way too much this podcast, but I find it interesting when, you know, when people who are into improv like stand up because yeah. it's so not yes. And it's so not the same brain. I, cause I taught improv for six years and I would always, I could always immediately identify like this person is a stand up. Um, because they're very funny, but they do are definitely like, I'm doing this on my own. Right. I do not want to listen to what you're saying. Right. Um, 
but always good with jokes. And I found it when I started doing stand-up. And the reason really that I started doing stand-up was because I felt like I had gotten as far as I could in improv and then was still still had a day job. And I was like, right. Why am what I, was it? I can't do this. I was fixing computers uh, at a staffing agency, at a temp agency. Wow. Um, and, and I don't and, know anything about computers. Oh, so that worked out well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> d- and your first paying gig, can you talk about that? Uh, at first the first paying at, gig. At, you had to be a monk. Yes, yes. This was, I was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was working at this uh, staffing agency. And right. It was, I guess, on Craigslist, someone looking for um, someone to play this monkey for a, a, a part that. And this was must have been 2000. This was before the big, the first tech uh, crash. So right. it was probably 2000. And um, it was a company that put directors' reels online. But back when, in 2000, when it was like, it would take 45 minutes for it to load and people could watch right. like a 30-second quick-type video. And uh, the 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 character that they had in their logo was this specific monkey that has uh, blue balls and a bright red dick. And I don't know why they chose that. But then they had this person. But it was all this weird, you know, digital money at the time. And so they hired me. I went to a like a puppeteer's office where they like took a, a form of my face so that this monkey mask would fit only to my face. And then I found out it cost $8,000 for them to for make For the mask? For the whole outfit. It was this monkey outfit that has these bright blue balls and a bright red dick, but then the dick could be extended to like be like 15 <laughs> inches long or it could be retracted. And it was like a tube that would like go into the costume. Oh my God. And uh, and I'm being paid 200 bucks. I mean, I'm sorry. And they're and paying 8000 For this fucking- For the fucking- for the thing, for the costume, yeah, that only I can wear because it's form right. fitted to my face, right? And uh, and we're supposed to go to this big producer's gala at the at the Met, mm-hmm. and it's seven hundred dollars a ticket for that. And the whole idea is, and he and he rented me a tux so that the whole idea was that I was going to go into this this gala at the Met, not the Met gala, but this was uh, the producer's gala, right? With a suitcase. And then wearing a tux. And then once I got in, I would go into the bathroom, change, come out with as this monkey. And then this monkey would like get pictures taken with people. And then he would hand them, the photographer would hand them a card saying, if you want your photos, go to this website. And it was the company's website, right? So that's a whole right. idea. It's just a publicity stunt. And we get there. And of course, the security guards at the Met are like, you can't bring a fucking suitcase into the Met. You goddamn weirdos. <laughs> like, it's, what is this, a bomb? And it's like, no, well, we can't show you what it is. So then we go in and then I'm at this producer's gala and I'm 22, I'm 22, 23. And uh, it's all you can drink, all you can eat. And the guy's like, all right, listen, we'll probably just do this at the after party. So just hang out, enjoy yourself. And I'm like, I hear enjoy myself. I'm like, oh, and you're like, yeah, and I'm just pouring them back. And I'm 23 years old. I've never had an open bar before. I'm so excited. Free sushi. I'm eating sushi, looking at art. And then at midnight, I'm shocked when he comes up to me and he's like, okay, we're going to go to the after party. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So then we go over to this big box club on like between 11th and 12th Avenue on like right. 6th Street or something. And we go in and it's just like, you know, loud box club music and uh, and nobody's there. It's an empty thing. And I'm like, there's no way this shit is happening. Right. Uh, and again, it's open bar there. 
And he's like, okay, we got to wait for it to like fill up and then we'll do this. And I was like, this isn't happening. Like this guy's crazy, but this isn't right. I'm going to hang it. So two o'clock in the morning rolls uh. around and I am wasted at this time. I have been drinking all night long. And he's like, all right, we're going to do it. And I was just like, all right, whatever, man. And I go into the bathroom and I'm still wearing this tux and he gives me the, the suitcase and I just get completely naked <laughs> and put this thing on. I don't know why yeah. I got completely naked. I was just that drunk. And then put this monkey suit on and then went out into the party and like danced with people. And like the, the photographer took the pictures and everything. And How, what's what, what was the dick? Did you have the dick out or you, you could pull it out or push it in? And then eventually, like everybody was so drunk. It's three in the morning at this place. People are like grabbing the dick and getting the picture <laughs> taken with it and whatnot. And then at four in the morning, the party ends. He pays me my two hundred dollars, which is oh, for God. me at this time. Yeah, I'm like so psyched. Right. I'm right. Like, this is the most cash I've had in my hand. So right. Long. Put my I put my uh, um, my my tux back on. I start walking to the subway and this Lexus pulls up next to me and rolls the window down. It's a woman by herself in the driver's seat. She's like, hey, you want to go somewhere? And I was like, and I was like, what? I don't understand what's happening. And she's like, come on, hop in. We'll go to a hotel. We'll go to a hotel, you know? And I was like, oh no, no, that's okay. And then she has, she's wearing no pants also. And, and this was recently right after Giuliani, like quote unquote, cleaned up Times Square. Right, right. So like kicked all the sex workers out of Times Square. So apparently this was one way that people were getting around that was like renting high-end luxury vehicles and then driving around and finding like people who are coming out of strip clubs at four or five in the morning who obviously from out of town wearing a tuxedo. <laughs> and uh, and I was, no, but then I was like, I was like, I do have this $200 in my pocket. And I was like, I'll give you 80 bucks if you could drive me to Brooklyn. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm not a fucking cab. And I was like, all right, and just drove away. And I just went, I just went home with my twin. Oh my God. I wish you had that fucking outfit. I know, isn't it? It's rude. It's rude that uh, I didn't get to keep it. How great would that be? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. New York City is great. Thank you so much for listening to part one of Kill Me Now with Kurt Braunohler. How how great is he? How great is he? I love, like, sensitive straight guys. Don't you? Like, guys, you know, like my kids. They're sensitive straight guys. I mean, I don't love them all the time because they're annoying, but I love them so much. I can't even tell you. I mean, I do love them all the time unconditionally, but sometimes they get on my nerves. But, uh, yeah, I love straight, sensitive guys. I am a lesbian with a lot of straight guy friends. And I think that's a little unusual. I don't know. Tell, let, write to me and let me know. Anyway, Kill Me Now is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling, and everything else, marketing, posting, nudging, all done by the one and only Brittany Joe Sowards. Richmond Jew married a Jew. So not Jewish and married a Jew. So that's my assistant, Brittany. Please subscribe and leave a review. It help, It's like, it really helps people uh, find the show and advertisers, more importantly, find the show. Uh, five stars, please. Five stars. By the way, I just want you to know my Lyft rating, which was a 5.0, okay, is now a 4.9. And I know the ride, I, re- I, I looked at it after, and I like, the ride was perfect. Like, I don't even know what I did to lose a fucking point, okay? I tip. 
I'm like, have a great day, be safe. I'm like overly um, just effusive to these people. And fucking 4.9. Let's check. Let's, while I'm on this, let me check my Uber rating. My Uber rating is still, let's see, account 4.49. Seriously, like if I got a driver that was a 4.49, I'd be like, oh, fuck. Okay? I'm a 4.49. That's not nice. That's not nice. I tip. Let's see. What am I? I'm checking Lyft again to see if anyone um, dissed me. Yeah, 4.9. Fucking ridiculous. One person, one person can change your fucking rating. Speaking of ratings, you have to come see my show. Yes, I can say that, which is at 59 East 59th Street Theaters, beginning May, March, March 4th through April 19th. Get your tickets. It's going to be a great show. It's based on my book, but it's also much more personal. And it's, I'm really proud of it. And what else? Oh, let me do you my dates. Avenel uh, Performing Arts Center on February 4th in New Jersey, right by where I grew up. Get your asses there. Okay, February 4th, Avenel Performing Arts Center. I will be in D.C. January 26, 27, and 28 at the D.C. Comedy Loft. And on January 21st, I will be in Sellersville, Pennsylvania at the Sellersville Theater in Pennsylvania in Sellersville, Sellersville, Pennsylvania, Sellersville. What kind of name is Sellersville? Anyway, so I don't know what to expect there, but I'm just going to have fun on stage. So let's see. I did I did write down people who have been listening to the end, which I love you for listening to the end. Thank you. Um, oh, I just want to let you know some of the things I bought myself. I bought myself these Uggs with the ties. So they look like kind of shoes, but they're really bulky and they're so warm. Of course, I had to get the men's size. So I don't know if you know which ones I'm talking about, but they're really, really warm and you can wear them without socks. And then, oh, I got Elisa because she was so jealous. I got her um, Crocs. I got her like, tie-dye blue Crocs, and she fucking loves them, but she wears them with socks. Uh, don't tell anyone I said that. And um, I got her a new b- bag for her work stuff because I hate the bag she carries to work. I got her some nice things. I also got her, um, oh, I got her a pair of Uggs. Those same Uggs, but hers are green, and they're really, I love them. They're really cool color. And uh Yeah. I just, oh, wait, what was, here's my ADD acting up because I went to look to see who listens to the end and I started talking about my eggs. Okay. So that is what is wrong with me. I have mental illness. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Who listens to the end? I always take a picture of my phone when someone writes to me and I take a picture of it and then I look for it before I go uh record this and of course um <laughs> i can't find them now so if you listen to the end please write to me i know there's more there's someone okay i'm starting the year off the wrong way because i let's see here's one hi judy gold i always listen to the end oh no that's an old one oh shit well maybe it's not it's ricky r i KKI Thurman. I think the last name is Thurman. If I haven't said thank you, Ricky Thurman, I'm saying thank you right now. And thank you to everyone who listens to the end because you obviously have no life. And the fact that you can listen to my voice is it's fascinating to me because I can't. 
It's beginning of January. You're going to get through it. And uh, I'm here with you. And hopefully the days will get longer because I can't with the fucking four o'clock. It's the day's over. I can't take it. And I'm going to not eat really late at night. That's my new thing. Because, you know, as a comic, you just want to eat after you work. And so that's, I'm going to see how that works out because I'm not happy with the stomach. I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, please come see me. Thank you for listening. I love you all so much. This country is driving me crazy. These fucking idiots who are in the Congress. I like, I'm not in, the, like George Santos. What a fucking piece of shit. He is a fucking fraud. And, you know, look at him like, cavorting with fucking Marjor Marjorie Taylor Cunt and Lo Lauren Bo Cunt and Matt Cunt. Yeah, they're all cunts. No, Matt, Matt, you know what? Cunt is too nice a word for them. So no, they're not cunts. They're fucking assholes. Anyway, with shit in it. And uh, I love you all. So thank you for listening. And as we always say, so long.